something went haywire in the editing room and we ended up with an entire show full of past snippets from the quick quiz. It's a clip show on this week's episode of The Internet Says It's True. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like it's made up, but it's really true. We're part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. Welcome back. This week's show is an oops all interviews episode with a ton of clips from past quizzes and past guests. It's been a whirlwind couple years with this show. We're at 113 weeks of podcasting, more than two years of putting a show out every week. I've got so many more new stories. Some of them are stories that have been sent in to me. Some are stories I found on my own. I do not keep a schedule of what stories we're going to do and when. I just keep a list of topics, and when one of them sounds like it's something I'm particularly interested in that week, I start researching it. Well, this week I'm doing something that I've been meaning to do for a while. I'm going back to revisit some of the moments that have made this show great over the last couple years. If you are a regular listener to this show, you might be looking for a way that you can show that you're a fan of this podcast, and there's a way to do that on the website now. You can order an official The Internet Says It's True t-shirt. I've gotten a couple samples of these myself, and they're very soft, and I'll just say they're the kind of t-shirts I would buy and wear, and I'm pretty picky about t-shirts. There are also mugs in there, which, according to my friend Mark's wife, Lacey, they're the good kind because you can fit all four fingers in the handle, which makes a good mug. Personally, I wish it was available in like a giant 16 or 18 ounce version, but the, the, the large one on the website's 15 ounces. That's pretty good. That's still a lot of coffee. One more thing you can do to show your support is pledge a monthly subscription on Patreon. That starts at just $1 a month and goes all the way up to infinity. If you're, I don't know, the Monopoly man listening with your top hat and your Rolls Royce. Anyway, here's the deal with Patreon. It only works if it's a win-win proposition, right? And why would you give money to a guy like me with a full-time performing career and several side gigs? Well, it's simple. Other than the very small amount of ad money from this podcast, which believe me is not a lot, the only revenue this podcast brings in is from those supporters. And that's used for things like keeping the website up, paying for the services and equipment that I use to keep this going, and of course for the massive amount of time that I put into the show. Especially this week when I poured through hours and hours of podcasts just to bring you some good clips. And the other side of the win is what's in it for you. Well, other than just supporting a show you enjoy, there are lots of bonuses, stickers, cool stuff in the mail, access to videos every week, every episode a week early and at free, and what I think is probably the most underrated benefit. You get access to 65 episodes of Joke Story Trick, which was a live stream talk show I did during the pandemic. And that alone is a goldmine of great stuff, if I do say so myself. Anyway, let's quit selling stuff. Let's get on to the show. This first clip is from someone who I admire greatly, the actor, comedian, and political commentator John Fugelsang. I'm so lucky to have had John on the show a couple times, once on this show and once on Joke Story Trick, and as I was preparing for the podcast when he was on, I noticed that he had actually interviewed George Harrison, like that George Harrison, early in his career. Early in John's career, not George's career. He was not around for the beginning of George's career. So I asked him about that. I asked him about when he interviewed George Harrison. And this episode was about hippos and Pablo Escobar. So we had a small argument about whether or not hippos could swim. Take a listen. And I saw that you had interviewed George Harrison and um, Ravi Shankar way back when. And I went and I watched it. And oh. I am amazed at this point. I mean, I've always been you know, a fan of yours, but I'm like, now I'm gushing because holy crap, 
You, there are some amazing quotes from George Harrison in this thing. How did that come about? You had, you had worked with VH1 prior to that. I had. And, it, and I was actually on my way that day to go fly to London to do a live TV special with Paul McCartney. What? And uh, yeah, I was doing a live special, like international live special from Bishopsgate in London with Paul. And they called me up and said, hey, we're going to need you to leave a day later because we need you in New York. And I'm like, oh, damn it. Why? I've never been to London. They said, well, we need you here with George Harrison and <laughs> uh, and Ravi Shankar. And I mean, I and I I love all four Beatles. I don't think you can really truly be a Beatles fan without being deep into their solo careers. And uh, George, the red meant a lot to me. My parents were ex-Catholic clergy. And so like George, I had grown up uh, quite Catholic. And like George, I had tried to deepen my spiritual world beyond that. And he was a big figure to me uh, spiritually and creatively and musically. Uh, the first solo Beatle record I ever got as a teenager was his Cloud Nine album with Jeff Lynne. That's what kind of got me into him in the first place. Before I knew My Sweet Lord, I, I knew Got My Mind Set on You. I was kind of a late bloomer. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so he came in with Robbie. And it's a long, long story. They were only supposed to be there for about 10 minutes. Um, we were going to get our sound bite and let him go. And uh, in the beginning, there was nobody there. It was very empty. And I knew if I talked about the Beatles, he'd get up and leave he didn't like doing that um so i talked about god and the soul and what happens when you die and meditation and he must have liked the fact that i was the worst interviewer of all time because he hung in there and he eventually stayed for four hours um i gave him i gave him a guitar that belonged to the girlfriend of one of our crew members and he played four songs oh my god uh, robbie had a sitar we were not planning on live music but they 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 played and uh he played four things he had never played live before and he hadn't toured in america since the 70s wow in over 20 years so it, it, by the time it was over the room was filled uh, the editor of billboard was there and uh, rick rubin was there tom petty's daughter was there because she's uh she was our intern at the time and um she's gone on to be a great figure in the music industry in her own right adria petty yeah and uh and george's son donnie was there and, um, you know, they, they put it out as a special, uh, a 30-minute special that nobody watched. And the whole time I was talking to him, they kept saying in my ear, stop talking about God and death. Talk about John Lennon. But I knew he wouldn't want to do that. So a couple of years, right after this, George was diagnosed and he got sick. And I was up in Montreal at the Comedy Festival and they called me and said, uh, we want to recut this thing. Uh, would you fly down to New York? And I, I did. And um, they put all the spirituality back in the special. So on the day George died, they aired so much footage that had never been seen before. And it was George and this 25-year-old kid talking about death and what happens when you die and God and the soul. And uh, to this day, I'll have guys walk up to me and hug me and say that it's rare they see anything so spiritual on TV. And it was a nice lesson in, you know, sometimes when you think you're doing something all wrong, it might take a few years to realize that you were making the right call. And I, I learned a lot. From that experience and i continue to learn a lot from him uh, from that day absolutely incredible now did you then fly to london the next day and meet with paul? oh yeah i have pictures what, of me what did paul uh, say george about and, what you had just done with george oh well uh, we, we went straight from the studio to to the airport and i got on the red eye i have a picture of me and my uncle in ipswich the next morning and i'm wearing the same clothes i'm wearing with george <laughs> and the studio pictures it was disgusting uh you know paul's people thought 
I mean, Paul just said, oh, he'll talk to you, but he won't talk to me. Oh, and wow. um, they thought that was kind of uh, funny. Um, and his his people were kind of shocked that George would play four songs with me and do yeah. all that because their relationship was what it was. They mm-hmm. loved each other very much, but it didn't always go that smoothly. Wow. That's an incredible yeah. story behind the story. I appreciate that, that you sharing that with us. Which one of these facts is true about hippos? So one of these true. A, they can't swim. B, they have one mate for life. C, their hooves shed naturally. They can't swim. They have one mate for life or their hooves shed naturally. One of those is true. Uh, The only one of those that's true is their hooves shed naturally. Unfortunately, the answer, John, is they can't swim. Hippos are not swimmers. Hippos um, do swim. They what are you don't, talking about? So hippos spend a ton of time in the water. They have to walk on the bottom of the riverbed. So you'll only ever see hippos in shallow water. Uh, the hippos are, are a, a, they, they need the water to cool off. They need the water to, to breed. They lay their babies in the water. Even the hippo babies suckle the mom's teat underwater, but they are not a swimming animal i'm looking up right now i i see hippos hippo uh, hippos are graceful in water good swimmers now and can hold their breath underwater for up to five minute. minutes I'm we have to, to appeal to the judges we have this. to check with the judges on this i'm gonna i'm gonna have to look for for images and, and videos and send i you. see, I'm sure I I see what you are seeing from national geographic and it does not yes. get now the now the next article down from the atlantic is titled hippos can't swim for all intents and purposes the hippo does not swim says an assistant okay. professor you know in the what? department. And the Atlantic, the Atlantic was for the Iraq war. You believe everything they say? You trust the Atlantic on hippos? I, over, I over am going to go to our rifle? judges. It turns out that our judges are defaulting to the National Geographic. They're giving you the point. They say Alexa, the Atlantic. hippos swim? Hippopotamuses cannot swim. Ah! Alexa said no. My own, I can't, there's no higher authority in, in my <laughs> world than Alexa. Well, you know what? Now uh, I see it both ways. I now that I say this, I did watch a fair amount of hippo documentary before before writing this episode, and I okay. did see hippos swimming through water, but just like down to get to the bottom and then back up. Um, I think that counts as swimming, Michael. I, I think what it is is a definition of what is swimming, and okay. if you can move through the water, I think that's a swim. I'm not and, saying they can do the English Channel, sir, but my God, I've seen hippos swim in documentaries myself. And I am inclined to give the debate. Uh, uh, the, the, Henry, hang on. I got a 10-year-old. Okay. Henry, come here. I'm, I'm going to have to go to my other judge. This Henry. Is, this is a great judge. Can, can hippos swim? My 10-year-old says they can swim. So that, that beats a that beats Tell Alexa. Henry to ask Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the bathroom. He's already mad at He's, me for yelling at me. <laughs> All right. Well, this we're gonna we're gonna give know. it to you just because of the fact that uh, a quick Google result says National Geographic says it's true. Screw the Atlantic. What do I know? Uh, I don't know. There's a David there's... from David from wrote the line Axis of Evil. That's all I'm going to say about that. What Iran and Iran and and, and Iraq are in an axis. Okay, from sure. He's been wrong before, sir. At this point, I think it comes down to what you said about what is what constitutes swimming. I, I don't think they could, you know cross the mississippi but they can get around okay now i will say uh your answer for this was c they they shed their hooves naturally and hippos have toes with toenails and no hooves so incorrect uh i knew they weren't monogamous i knew they weren't monogamous monogamous. 
Hippos but, are some freaks, let me tell you. There's, based, there's, there's a fetish for everybody, and I'll tell you, hippos are definitely not monogamous. That's all I want to say about that. <laughs> Had so much fun talking with John Fugelsang. Uh, and so back in episode 12, this was like the, the first season early on, I had my friend Eric Diddleman on to talk about regional names for sub sandwiches. You know, some places call them hoagies, some call them grinders, some have weird names for them. And Eric is is one of the best professional mind readers out there and a good friend of mine. And in this episode, we actually got Eric's mom involved. To this day, he tells me it is her only podcast credit. So let's listen to Eric Diddleman and his mother. Today... The, one of the main reasons I had you on about this is because you were originally from the Boston area. Okay. And my question to you is this. What's a Spucky? What? I, I don't know. Oh, I'm so happy you don't know this. Well, I should, I, I should come clean. I'm not like in Boston proper. So if it's a Boston proper thing, like I grew up in Central Mass and okay. we have our own terminology sometimes. But uh, so if you were to guess what a Spucky was, what do you think it would be? Mm. Knowing Boston, uh, my my immediately thought goes to like something like alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're close. It's a food item. Uh, okay, and it's short for spookadella. Okay, that it's seems also word. something that's not uh, I'm familiar with. And it, I was gonna say it sounds Italian. <laughs> <laughs> you're from Boston. What's a spookadella? No, it's uh, <laughs> it's not that question. Uh, spookadella is Italian for long roll. So spucky in mm like South Boston and in Dorchester is a sub. Oh, so it's like a hoagie or a yeah. hero or oh, a... here we go. So here we go. <laughs> gotcha. What do you call a sub? I call it a sub. Do you call it you like growing up, if you said I'm gonna go get a sub, you'd say a sub. You wouldn't say I'm gonna well, go get a hoagie. Uh being a picky eater my whole life, I wouldn't even say those words. So <laughs> you're not a sub guy? I wasn't. I've had subs since, but when I was growing up, definitely wasn't like. I was uh, the same. I yeah. never ate subs growing up. Well, I would, but I would go. I'd go to like Subway, and I would get the spicy Italian, which is which is um, salami and pepperoni, but I would get it with nothing on it, just bread and meat, mm-hmm. because I was yeah. a eater. Like that's way I would have had mom make it at home or something, you know. Yeah. And it's only now that like I'm more adventurous with eating. So. Yeah, I was basically like steak and cheese, and that was about it. <laughs> okay. What do you see them referred to where you live now in New York? In New York? Oh, again, I don't think I've had many here. I think I've, because I'm in um, like uh, the, a Greek neighborhood, I think it's hero is really the, the, the key. What other? And I, oh, so, so I'm just trying to think about like why a, Boston calls it a spucky like that's uh that's interesting that I I know they have strange terms for things at first like before I knew you said it was a you know a sub sandwich uh I was thinking more of like a dessert or like because of like a roll they have they have strange some some strange desserts like in Boston like I remember my mom would take me to some like Boston delis because she's originally from South Boston so I feel like I should have known this but uh your mom uh yeah yeah I'll ask her about that for sure (laughs) Hi, Mom. Yeah, I'm recording a podcast with a friend, and I thought I'd call you because it, it has to do with where you grew up. But do you know what a oh. Spucky is? Sure. Spucky says sub sandwich. <laughs> you knew that growing up in South Boston. Why is it called sure a Spucky? It do you know? No, but that's uh, Spucky's um, a sub sandwich. But that's, it, it's short for Spookadella. Spucky. 
Yeah. So much fun to have Eric and his mother, who was kind enough to actually answer the phone, so she would come on the podcast. Um, a lot of fun. I did an episode once about this guy, Emperor Norton of San Francisco. He was a guy that just declared himself emperor. And I had Shannon and Scott from the Song Salad podcast on. On their podcast, they create a song from scratch about different random topics every week. And also, they like sort of spin this wheel to choose a random genre. So here's a clip from that show. I love it. What you do is you take topics very similar to what we have on this show, but then you spin a wheel of music genres and you compose on the spot a song about that topic. That is brilliant. Where did you come up with that idea? Brilliant, is it? Um, <laughs> it really is. It really is brilliant. It's week week to week. That might vary a little bit, but um, but but thanks. Um, I mean, the way the like origin story that we always tell is, I was desperate to do a podcast because I love them, um, and I um was kind of a uh. Uh, a frustrated creative who had like transitioned into a more like corporate nine to five job where, yeah, I was using my writing skills, but you know, I wasn't doing what I was doing with Scott, which was working on like musicals and writing mm-hmm. musicals. And I was like, you're my creative partner. Like we should do something that's just an outlet for us. And so we yeah. sat at a, a local cafe and we were brainstorming like, well, what do we do and what do we like? And like, well, we write songs, like that's what we mm-hmm. do together. But how do we make that repeatable? And how do we make it infinitely in- interesting? And sure. also so that all of the burden of coming up with everything is not on us <laughs> every right. single episode. Yeah. It has to be sustainable. Um, yes, exactly. And so we came up with the idea of what what if we randomized or got the genre and topic suggestions either crowdsourced from our listeners or from the internet somehow yeah. and it sort of evolved it from kind there. of is like what creating a musical is but just in tiny tiny little increment little bits right little bits. yes yeah it started sort of as a, a songwriting exercise and also a way to keep us writing songs uh, in a time when we were a little bit busier and focused on other things and it's turned into a lot of silly fun, and we now have uh, over 200 songs in 200 episodes, and uh, there's no stopping in sight. Yeah. Here's what just happened. This, this just happened. They spun the wheel of genres, and they landed on skater punk. And so I went upstairs, hung out with my dogs for like, it was, I swear it was like 20 minutes or less, and I came back downstairs to the studio and they had written this song from scratch about Emperor Norton. This is the world debut. You'll hear it here first. And then if you listen to their podcast next week, they'll talk about sort of why they chose to do the things they chose, where they came up with the lyrics. You'll hear the process of them writing this song. And you'll hear us make fun of Emperor Norton a little bit before that. So here it is. The song is called Take Off Your Hat and Suit. Say down with politicians and their bloated corrupt missions. The only one that will salute got beaver hat and bright blue suit. All hail, all hail, Emperor Norton. Ta 
Bow to the emperor. Take a knee, kiss the ring. Bow to the emperor. Saber hat and everything. Bow to the emperor. Free lunch, take a plate. Bow to the emperor. Of these United States. Bow to the emperor. Take a knee, kiss the ring. Bow to the emperor. Saber hat and everything. Bow to the emperor. Free lunch, take a plate. Bow to the emperor. Of these United States. So much fun. Once again, that's the Song Salad Podcast. Go give them a listen. And I'm going to take a quick break for some ads real quick, but uh, we'll come back with a couple more clips after that. There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing bombs, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. I'm John DeSando, host of Back Talk. This podcast is an extension of the long-running, award-winning movie review show, It's Movie Time. Back Talk features additional content and banter with guests about new movies. If you want more insight and information about what's playing now in theaters and online, find Back Talk at the WCBE podcast experience on wcbe.org. You'll be happy you did. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. I am so lucky to have such talented people who have agreed to join me for the podcast over the last couple of years. One of those people was not the usual guest. I bring on a lot of my entertainer friends on here, but there have been a couple times when I've asked my wife to come all the way from upstairs down here to my basement studio. And although she got one question wrong here, she got three others right. And it really wasn't fair. I brought her on and asked her questions about an old magician. It would be like her asking me questions about skincare, which is her profession. So anyway, here's a clip from the time I had my wife, Allison, on the show to ask her questions about the magician, Harry Keller. Thank you for agreeing to do this, uh, but it's Easter and I didn't want to bother anyone else. So I'm used to bothering you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> used to so, being bothered. <laughs> so you haven't done this, and uh, I don't even know if you've listened to any of the podcasts, but I don't tell the guest what the quiz is about Okay. until after the first question. Okay. So last week, the guest got the first question right, and I spent an entire week not posting any of my bird photos on Facebook, and it's been killing me not to, so I'm excited to be out of bird photo quarantine because between what you and I saw today and what I saw this last weekend on the road, I've got some amazing photos to share. So for this week, for this question, if you get it right, I will finally fix the fence where it needs to be fixed. <laughs> if you get it wrong, I get to wait another week Man, you've, to, you've, to fix it. You've got a lot of work ahead of you. <laughs> it's, 
It's going to be, I, I think it's about a dozen planks and about four crossbars. Oh, Lord. And okay. i got to borrow your truck to do it. <laughs> Uh, right. Around the year 1900, the famous magician Harry Keller, with his bald head suit and top hat, inspired a very famous character in a popular children's book. Was it A, Mickey Mouse, B, Peter Rabbit, or C, The Wizard of Oz? Oh, shoot. Peter Rabbit. B. I'm sorry. It was The Wizard of Oz. The, <laughs> I knew you were going to kill me for that. No, see, this isn't <laughs> made. I told you before we started, it's not made to make you look silly. Oh um, and that's why the stakes don't matter. But uh, I get another week to fix the fence. So, question two. Drag for your feet longer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do it. The weather's nice now. I'm happy to report I did eventually fix the fence, but then it just got even worse. So we replaced the whole thing with a nicer aluminum fence that should never need to be repaired. Anyway, so it got done. Before I rebranded the podcast in the early days, I didn't really know what the guest segment was. Uh, we were just sort of, I knew I wanted to have guests on the show to talk about each week's topic. So before I started doing the quick quiz, the idea was to bring subject matter experts on and ask them about that week's story. The problem with that is that you've just spent the last 10 to 15 minutes learning the story, and then we bring on an expert, and you have to hear about the whole thing again from someone who actually is more familiar with the topic. And then if I ask them a question that's like a quiz style and they get it wrong, and it makes me look like a jerk for like, haha, you didn't know this and you're supposed to be an expert. So it was a redundant and it was tough to listen to, but the exception was the second episode I ever did. And it was about the hidden village that's buried underneath Central Park, Seneca Village. I was so fortunate to have connected with one of the foremost experts on Seneca Village on the show, Nan Rothschild. She is the former director of museum studies at Columbia University and a research professor at Barnard College. She's been studying Seneca Village since the mid-1990s. Uh, first, let's start with a pretty broad question. Why is it important that we remember Seneca Village? Seneca Village enriches and expands our understanding of the 19th century, of New York City, of African Americans, and of whites as well, uh, because it was not known until we started doing this research and I, by we, I'm being pretty inclusive. I mean, there are historians who have talked about Seneca Village, uh, Betsy Blackmore and Roy Rosenzweig, uh, Leslie Harris. So there are historians who have uh, alerted us to the presence of this kind of community. But archaeologically, it was just so exciting to find the material culture evidence that really demonstrates that this was a different uh, kind of African-American experience for people living in the city. It was really, it was a place that was free of the normal racial harassment that Blacks faced in the downtown city in the 19th century. Um, because initially it was all African-American and then by the 1840s and 50s, uh, some Irish and, and German immigrants joined them. But since they joined them and they were in the minority, it must have been a harmonious experience. Absolutely. And, and as well, I've, I've read that there were the, the churches were integrated at the time, the, the German and Irish immigrants. Yes, one of the churches was integrated. And there were, was, was there also some integrated um, marriages as well or, or families living with, under one roof? 
Well, we're not sure about that. There may very well have been. Yes, I think there were some couples who were uh, mixed race. But what we do have from the church records is that we know that there were interracial witnesses at marriages and baptisms. Okay. So the community was clearly not the typical, you know, racist community that would have been uh, persistent in a lot of other parts of the city. Um, but it was also, I mean, you know, there have been uh, some children's books written, uh, plays. Uh, a, a lot of artists have taken the idea of Seneca Village and sort of run with it and interpreted it in their own way. There's a wonderful uh, textile designer who has a website uh, in which she talks about, which she shows, she's, the website I think is entitled We Wore More Than Shackles. And she has images of what she imagines women in Seneca Village might have been wearing. Wow. Now, from, from my point of view, um, she's a little, uh, I mean, first of all, African fabrics were not being imported into the U.S. in that time period. And second of all, the idea of long dresses. I mean, she has these very Victorian long dresses with, you know, high waists and so on. And I think if you're living in a community with, with the, the floors are all dirt. I'm not sure that that would be practical, but it's a wonderful image, nevertheless. And um, and do we have jewelry and, and different things that would might give us an indication of what they may have worn at that time, just from the excavations? No, we have no, no we don't have jewelry, but we have um, we have evidence of uh, self care in the sense of toothbrushes. Mm -hmm. Toothbrushes were not that common in the 1840s, and yet there, the, the one house that we excavated, which was called the Wilson House, um, and it was lived in by one of the uh, church sextons. He was the sexton for the integrated church. Uh, his name was William Godfrey Wilson, and his wife's name was Charlotte, and they had eight or nine children, and they lived in a three-story, but get this, 20 by 20 foot house. Whoa, <laughs> that's, that's a tall house. Looks. It's, it's a, tall and cozy. Yeah, yeah. By 20 feet. Wow. I imagine that the parents lived on the top floor, the children lived on the second floor, and the family lived on the, <laughs> on the floor. Um, wow. But anyway, it was, um, so we found that within two days of our opening, which was incredibly fortunate. And so we have, you know, we have, the, the reason that we say it's middle class, um, and I, I think middle class might, it, it's a label, and who knows what it really means, right? Uh, I think it could have a different meaning. I mean, some of the historians have suggested that it would be different for African Americans to be middle class than for whites in the 19th century to be middle class. Um, and it's certainly a paradigm shift from what most people imagine. I mean, we're talking about antebellum New York. And um, they had spent the last three to four decades slowly freeing slaves in this area. And most people don't think about an idea of a living, working community right. with people who are using nice pottery and toothbrushes and things like this. Does it seem like the citizens that lived in this village were fairly compensated for their land and for their property? Well, the only way that we have of knowing that is by looking at their affidavits when they went to complain to say, 
I mean, one of them says, you know, I have been offered three times this price by somebody and I still didn't want to sell. And, you know, a, a number of them felt that they had been treated unfairly in terms of compensation. And of course, they didn't want to move at all. And then the sad thing is, this was a real community and it broke up. I mean, they did not move as a community. Scattered. So we've had some serious subjects on the show and uh, then some more lighthearted ones. This last interview clip I'll leave you with is one of the more lighthearted ones with the comedian and actor Hal Sparks. Hal was on the show to talk with me about the straw hat riot in the 1920s, which I called one of the dumbest reasons that white people have ever rioted. And we end up talking about fashion and the Kardashians. You know, wearing white after Labor Day thing. People wore the the hats because it was seasonal. And um, that's the same one of the same reasons they wore white. One of the reasons was because if you were working poor, you couldn't wear white because you would get it dirty. So it was a way to right. show your wealth. Right. I'm wearing white yes. clothes. Uh, I have a well, buddy. I can't do that now. I mean, like and I don't understand people who can wear. I, I've never understood white jeans my entire life. <laughs> no. Like, What are you talking about? Like if you can live a Kardashian lifestyle where apparently they float from couch to couch. <laughs> I don't understand what the fuck that show is. That drives me crazy. Like, it's all just women on couches leaning back going, I don't know what she's talking about. Well, it's because they have other people to do anything that would possibly get them dirty. The idea that they're they're like, we're so involved in our children's lives. I'm like, yeah, maybe beating them because I don't know how there aren't stains on all those couches. There's no way (laughs) (laughs) you're raising a a child that isn't some sort of Stepford wife automaton, you know, semi boy. if, If you're uh you know, in terms of like, he's, he's kind of an Android um, because he stays in a corner until we clean up the mess. I, we couldn't have white furniture in this house. My <laughs> no. God, my, all my carpet is gray. We have cats and kids in this house. There is no way. Most of my clothing choices are what I would call the gray man, which is I should be able to blend in to any surrounding. If I choose, I can stand out via my own personality. But if you saw me walking, especially if my hair's not long and yeah. it's back or whatever, you're just like, I don't know, average height, average build, white dude, brown hair, brown eyes. I, I, I can vanish. I could, I could reach her my way into, you know, into a crowd anytime I want to. And so, and, and, and the other thing is my, uh, that's the gray man. And then the other part is it has to be tight enough and conforming enough that it doesn't snag on a chain link fence if I'm ever running from a state official. And that's, <laughs> that's left over from high school. That uh, The idea of having saggy pants yes. in high school or, or ri- even ripped jeans to some degree, yeah. if you're trying to scale a wall when they're like, run for it, you know. Um, that was the lesson I learned in high school was that <laughs> collars and buttons can get stuck on stuff. Whereas if it's a t-shirt, you either just let it tear or you tear the thing off and book. And um, and there's left left behind. This left, is left uh, behind. Survival Lessons with Hal Sparks. You're joining yep. uh, Sparky and Mike in the morning. Um, That's right. Hey, we got Skeeter coming up in a couple of seconds. He's outside of the parking lot. He's running around. Somebody up is going to hit him in the dick with a tennis racket. And then after that, we got Claire with the morning. She's a sassy lady. She's sassy. She does that sass. sass. She put those, the, the lady sass into the, into the weather and the traffic. She's got all that lady sass. Hey. 
so much fun. Hey, I look forward to having a lot more of these moments with guests in the future as long as you keep listening. So thank you to all my guests and especially the ones featured in this episode. That's John Fugelsang, Eric Dittleman and his mother, Shannon and Scott from Song Salad and my wife Allison, Nan Rothschild and Hal Sparks. Keep coming back to listen. Here's a little kid who isn't old enough to remember how sitcoms used to slack for a week and instead do a clip show with recycled content. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True! The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make the show possible. Dallas Ray, Sean Brown, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, and the show's official Emperor Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and all audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent. 